You're listening to Post Perspectives Meet the Artist podcast, sponsored by Puget Systems. Hi, I'm Randy Altman from Post Perspective. Welcome to the latest episode of our Meet the Artist podcast. Today, I spoke to Rami Katrib, owner of Digital Film Tree, about his career in post-production and most recently the Ted Lasso series for Apple. I hope you enjoy our conversation. I just wanted to talk a little bit about when we first met. I mean, which I'm not going to mention years because no one needs to know how long ago that was, but it was, it was a very long time ago. And I don't know if you had just started digital film tree, but you guys were all Apple based back then. Did you, so when you built digital film tree, you built it as an Apple studio. Uh, you know, Apple was like one of the key technologies that helped digital film tree come to life. Um, but it, I was working at a negative cutting house, um, scanning film to videotape. And it was at the dawn of desktop computers being relevant to post-production and production. So we, we figured out how to use an Apple G3 with the first implementation of Firewire and to digitize, you know, telecine scan of film to the cute mini DV tape. And then we worked out a workflow that worked. Um, and that's kind of what started it. But there was also like HD cam. It was the dawn of HD cam going from standard definition from DigiBeta to high definition. So that was also coming online. Um, you know, it was the era of DV as well, DV cameras and all the documentarians, which is really how I started. It was wanting to make documentaries using DV because it was crystal clear um, and you can cut it at home. Um, so that's really what got me started. I never had the sense that um, it would culminate in a post house. Um, it was just me, like so many other people, trying to um, make my own films. And that was really the genesis of it. There was so many different technologies at that time. Also Aurora Video Systems and of course AJA, uh, uh, Grant Petty of Black Magic was up to all kinds of stuff way back when. So it was a small community. When we met, it was literally just a few, maybe hundred people, maybe worldwide, a few thousand people that were exploring emerging technologies and i think that's why we're still hanging out like you still reach out if you have a question about like some technology or emerging trend because that curiosity um clearly it's still here with you it's still here with me you know for for me it's like 25 years which is astounding that it went by so fast so that's like half my life you know, so yeah, Apple was a big part of it, but there was so many other technologies that were also part of it and people. Well, it's true. Um, and with Final Cut Pro, but, but then you guys, you sort of, you moved on from that. Obviously you sort of, you sort of had to, but you're an independently owned post house and you have been all these years, which is pretty remarkable. You haven't been eaten by anyone. Um, so that says a lot about how you have evolved your business. So maybe just get a little bit into that. Mm -hmm. I think we were always too weird to be considered by private equity. Um, we never really made sense. Um, you know, in the beginning, it was technology driven. You know, um, we had to figure out things so we can survive. Um, you know, the, the fuel that kept it going is is the, 
interest in creativity, right? Like why would people obsess on making something work that didn't work so well in the beginning if they weren't interested in telling a story? So that was the, you know, the, the fuel, the, 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 the impetus to persist and stay up all night, you know, it makes me think when we did Scrub season two, uh, laying down to Digibeta from an old SCSI drive um, in, in our first office on the Sunset Strip. And that was a disaster. Like you would have to try 15 times to land that program on hour one on a Digibeta in, in a, an environment that looked nothing like a traditional post house. And if anyone saw what we were back then, they would probably be horrified um, but I, I think we were so motivated to be part of the creative process and, and th that, that kind of ethos is still, still part of DFT. And then I think, you know, um, corporate approach doesn't necessarily have that kind of, um, tenacity, right? Like if you're part of, um, investment or part of a larger um, roll-up or whatnot, there's other things in play, like financial benchmarking and financial performance. And we, we've always kind of just enjoyed this type of lifestyle. I think it's been, independence feels good now, you know, through the years, you know, like even when the tsunami happened, there was a lot of trepidation. Like, how are we going to survive? Like, uh, how are we going to adjust? Um, uh, but I, th I think it's just the the um, the lifestyle of it all, uh, the culture, the people that have been at DFT in the beginning, uh, many of whom have moved on. Uh, some are still with us after twenty plus years. Um, We've tripled since since the pandemic in size, um, so we're not like necessarily a super small company. We're more like a 60, 70 person company now. Um, I, I did experience building a software and selling it to private equity, and actually I had a relatively positive experience, but for some reason after that, I wanted to come back and double down on DFT. Um, which on face level is a service-based company, but it, it's really more like what we get to do and the people that we work with and apply like some of the, you know, best processes. Um, uh, we're always in research and development. That's the cool thing. We're always investigating like the latest and greatest tech and how it could help us or help our clients that that alone is a full-time job. You know, it's one thing to build a new technology, but it's also a thing to research what the hell is out there. Cause there's a shit ton of technology out there today, more than I've ever seen. And just being thoughtful to review, to test, to validate like that. We put a lot of value on that. Um, and that takes the right type of team, the right type of culture to see what's out there, to test it, to meet the people who make it. Um, and you know, before, before endeavoring to build our own tech, which we do, 
Um, but now we're much more thoughtful about it. We, we, we do a lot more research than we have historically, and we have more people that are part of the research team, um, which includes infrastructure, networking, and security. Yeah. Well, you guys do, you sort of combine the, the tech and the creative. And I remember when you introduced that product, I think it was at NEB um, mm-hmm. years ago, but some of the best tools are built out of necessity by host houses that just have a, have a need and they need to fix it and they do it. But now, as you say, there's so much technology that you could sort of take bits and pieces of that and build on it, which I'm assuming that's easier mm-hmm. th- than doing it from the ground up. It's easier and sometimes it's better. Um, best case scenario is you, if you can have multiple pieces that um, are excellent at what they do and to bridge those things together. That's, that is um, kind of an art form, right? So take, take tools like Nuke or tools like Unreal and tools like Resolve and bridge those tools together in a way that's novel. So you're not creating something new, but the bridge is new, the way they interact. And oftentimes it's really driven by the people, right? So I'm like a lot more sensitive to the team um, and, and how they express their pain points. Also clients, like um, when, when there's a client challenge or a, team member challenge that's that's kind of what turns everyone on it's almost like the problems is what's interesting as opposed to oh no there's a problem uh we we run towards the problems it's weird it's like a lifestyle um in fact people get bored if there isn't a problem like something exquisitely that's hard to do or or especially if people say well you can't do that like for example um when we started moving camera raw through the internet like six seven eight years ago the one thing i remember is people say well you can't do that like you can't do that that's like in the future i think if people didn't say that we wouldn't be as interested in doing it the way we have so we we we, um we've always endeavored to do things that seemingly are not possible at this point um, just because it's interesting and never boring. You mentioned the tsunami before and how that sort of made the industry wake up and move on and, and embrace, you know, sort of get off the fence uh, about the way that they worked. And I think COVID did the same thing. It made people um, come up with different ways to work. And you guys did that. You kept working through, through COVID. In fact, I, I believe you were still working on Ted Lasso uh, during mm-hmm that period of time. So just talk a little bit about how you pivoted. Were you prepared ahead of time? Did you, did you, was it something that you were hoping to implement and then just had to out of necessity or did you just scramble? Cause it was a problem and you guys thrive on problems. Yeah, definitely thrive on problems. Um, if I reckon back to the tsunami at that time, file-based, the notion of a file versus a physical asset like a tape or a film, that was making its way through the industry, right? Uh, A lot of people were using Final Cut Pro to cut offline. Um, uh, The post process was in progress of being digitized. Um, 
that when the tsunami happened and tapes weren't available, that kind of forced a much harder pivot to where am I going to put my data? So the LTO, which we had been using for years, um, wasn't really interesting to our clients at the time. Like who would use an LTO and why? You know, we have tape. But because we had been using it, it was an easy pivot for us. So we would socialize with our clients and the community that we're able to back up this way. This is how we do it. And, and then, you know, the people of like mind that were also doing things like that would come together and then it becomes a routine over the course of a year or two. So that was a hard pivot to everything being digital as opposed to tape. Um, in a similar fashion, before the, before the pandemic, we had really bet the farm on the notion that people can work remotely. Um, but it wasn't really that popular. Um, like we would socialize it with clients and studios, um, with the community. And, you know, we, we didn't get a lot of play, so to speak. They, they thought it was interesting that you could work remotely from home or from wherever. And the process it takes to set someone up like that. Um, but we had made enough noise about it that when the pandemic happened, a lot of people approached us that had met with us before, that had heard what we were saying, and all of a sudden they had to work from home. So for us, it was a trip um, to all of a sudden pivot to something that we were advocating and doing ourselves with our staff to something that was mandatory, like overnight. And, and I think that's why we, we grew in the pandemic. We, we not only didn't shut down, we added staff through the whole pandemic. Um, and we're on that momentum still. I mean, there's still so much work to do in terms of how do you network people together? Um, how do you secure the media? Um, how do you deal with the nuanced challenges of VFX versus color versus online? versus deliverables. Um, how do you socialize something like previs to, to the scripted TV community that have never used it, right? And to do it from a Zoom, from the comfort of your home. Um, it, it was a perfect storm for us. Um, and, and even though it was, you know, um, it's hard to describe it in positive terms because it was the worst thing that arguably has happened in human history, but from the standpoint of people continuing to work, we played a role there. And it's, you know, it's a testament to the team, um, to our culture here and how we support people. You know, the tech is one thing, but how you communicate it and help someone apply it, that's where the action is, that's human. You're listening to Post Perspectives Meet the Artist podcast, sponsored by Puget Systems. Didn't virtual production play a role in how you kept working throughout COVID? Didn't you start, I think you started then, but maybe you had started before then, using that technique to keep people sort of separate, but together? Mm -hmm. I, I think it really magnified on um, um, when we were working on Umbrella Academy season three, um, and everyone was in different places. The pandemic was upon us. So the writers were in one location, production was in Toronto. People were all around the world. So 
you know, being able to do something as simple as a Zoom session, sharing your, you know, either Unity or Unreal user interface, start building out the environment, and then having all these stakeholders like the VFX supervisor, um, Everett Burrell, and the showrunner, and the director, and the DP come together on a Zoom session and hash out the story per the script. Oftentimes the script wasn't even done, which makes it really interesting. And it was fascinating to be part of that where when the script that comes from your head is then visualized, it actually affects the vision. And they're like, oh, is that what it looks like? So then they'll make tweaks based on just the the visual reference that's kind of like a living storyboard as it were and it, it by all by all measures it seems to have improved their process cuz what they tell us is it made it made things clearer not only to them but to all the departments it's like prototyping all of the uh, things that have to happen in real life and physical production for the story to be realized. It was like architecture, blueprinting, prototyping, simulating, you know, all these adjectives that are used. But for, for us, it was just helping them tell a better story. And, and, and when Lasso came around, also during the pandemic, season one, right? No one knew, no one knew anything because it hadn't existed yet. So we started simulating their soccer scenes because soccer, you know, actors are not necessarily professional soccer players. So to prototype and plan the movements, the the the, the blocking, the camera setups, um, was very helpful. Like it, it, I even say, it's just a humble little tool that kind of helps the camera department, helps. The, even the writer's room, um, the VFX supervisors, it brings people together with like a, a clear plan, as it were. So all those things happen during the pandemic. Just talking about how technology is helping, um, everybody's talking about AI right now and how it can maybe help with repetitive tasks, but how it could also possibly take some jobs away. People mm -hmm. aren't sure what's going to happen. What's your take on that? I mean, AI is already transforming so many industries, um, whether it's software development, um, um, manufacturing, I mean, you name it. Um, I think it's also starting to transform the media and entertainment industry in, in ways that are hard to comprehend because it's happening so fast. Um, there's already programs out there that have been created with AI um, some are cool, some are creepy. Um, but the fact that it's already there, empirically there, um, means that the, the transformation is already in progress. Um, for us, the way we've been applying AI, um, even going back some time, right? Cause I think with chat GTP, there was, there's been, um, uptick in interest, right? Worldwide interest. Governments are now trying to um, plan how AI will affect society. Um, 
But for us, it, it was really applying AI for things that are tedious, um, things that are repetitive, things that take time. Um, like in, in our reality, we don't see any world where, where AI takes over for a position we have. That's not to say that it won't happen in other industries. And, and I, I know of a lot of businesses and industries that have already laid off departments or individuals based on AI. That's not our case because the people, right? The culture of DFT together is what's creating the AI. So the AI without the people educating what the AI does is not meaningful to us. Um, in fact, we spend most of our time just meeting, discussing, comparing notes. Uh, a lot of times there's people of like mind within our team. And sometimes those people of not of like mind, but I like that. That's kind of cool. Like there's gotta be some rigor here to how we will apply um, AI. And right now we're defining all these use cases for AI and visual effects and dailies and how we manage our data, um, how we apply security methodologies. All of those things are impacted by AI. But to me, they're like more, it's more practical AI. It's not hitting a home run with some product that will auto correct your color or something like that. I know that's in play. Um, but we're, we're kind of digging deep on the, more of the um, mechanical process of post-production and how we can streamline that ever further for the benefit of our team and defined by our team. So I can't let you go before we talk about the elephant in the room, which is the writer strike. How is that affecting your business? How do you see it affecting the industry as a whole? Um, it's affecting the industry um, globally. Um, it's, uh, you know, I, uh, I think there's a lot of solidarity with the writers and the actors and, I mean, th think about it, the people who bring the stories to life so that we could work and finish, um, in the same vein, it, it's a tough stretch, I think, for our industry because of all the businesses that are part of this industry, the downstream businesses, the below the line businesses, the craft services, the vendors. Um, so it, this is a really tough stretch. Um, for us, um, we're using it as an opportunity to catch up on our to-do list. Um, so R&D is now much more magnified because we have more time. Uh, usually when we're busy, you know, our bandwidth to look into things is limited because we're engaged on projects. Now our bandwidth is much more pointed towards research, development, um, cross-training our, our team. So uh, the best way to d describe Digital Film Tree's culture is it, it's, it's, it is definitely about technology, but culturally it's about people from different departments coming together to improve upon the process, not only for ourselves, but for our clients. So time invested in that is profound. Um, 
we we're right now doing probably the most comprehensive cross training across dailies, color, online, pre-visualization, visual effects that we've ever uh, endeavored to do. And what happens is the team gets stronger. So it's the best investment possible to to um, to essentially pro provide a culture where people can be ever more interdisciplinary, right? Not just in your lane, but kind of see all these other lanes that are happening and join those lanes um, and also interdependent, right? The more you know about someone else's department or their process, the more interdependent you can be to support each other. Um, so, so that's kind of an opportunity for us. So we're looking at it in, in a very positive way. And, and then there's other opportunities that, you know, we're, we're focusing on like, you know, state-of-the-art restoration, um, you know, pre-existing programs that we can get our hands on and then remaster them in ways that are extraordinary, you know, it's like, it's crazy. I, I still get excited about when we can like scan an eight millimeter or 16 millimeter, which we can do thanks to our um, engineer, Greg Filkins, who built his own scanner. And then, you know, you, you scan that little eight millimeter and you can go through a full like Dolby vision finish and bring it to life in ways that the clients who own the material are astounded, you know, like that's terribly exciting. And it's kind of, interesting that it's also part of our past. Um, uh, so there, there's all kinds of projects that we're focusing on um, that we can still move forward on um, during the strike. Right. And you're getting stronger for when, when the strike is over and work is happening again. So that makes perfect sense. What is next for you guys in terms of um, projects is there was there anything in the pipeline before things got wonky um yeah there's there's quite a few some of them have gone on hiatus so i think um once they come back on they will hit us like a like a freight train um we're, we're working on um we're working on more independent films which is cool. We're working on a project called Grizzly Nights. Um, we used to mostly do film, and then early on we gravitated towards television. Now we're starting to pivot back to independent film and, and with the goal of working on bigger budget films as well, because the workflows are so similar now. Um, it, so for this film, we did pre-visualization better than we ever have before. And it's kind of cool. We, we, we uh, visualize the script in a way that helps the filmmakers and there's an animal handler involved. So even uh, an animal handler is looking at the previous so that it helps them in his process. Um, and we have uh, several other f uh, uh, indie films in the queue. Um, and then I don't know which projects I can talk about publicly, but there's a fair amount of projects that are coming down the pike based on the success of our of our clients and and how they've grown. Um, you know, when when our clients succeed, then new projects tend to come online, and there we are with them, um, empowering them. 
Rami, thank you for taking the time. I really appreciate it. It's always fun to chat with you. Um, maybe we'll do it in person next time. Uh, let's definitely do that. Thank you for listening to Post Perspectives Meet the Artist podcast, sponsored by Puget Systems. For more information, please visit pugetsystems.com.